0: Итак, мы начинаем наш третий диалог. Again, we'll have Boris as Socrates asking, and me as Plato interpreting what actually happened in human culture, civilization, science, over the last just 3,000 years. Boris?
1: Yes, and we premeditated our topic. It's not an ex-prompt, it's a premeditated topic. We uh, agreed to talk about Bohr's model of uh, atoms but let's go back in time for how many years probably a few thousand years when uh, Aristotle came up with idea of atomic structure of the material uh, what do you think what was the reason to move him uh, toward that direction because uh, we spoke in our previous dialogues it was impossible there was no instruments there was no Any experience or experimental way to even get close to this idea but anyway the power of mind the power power of intelligence the power of human brain created a miracle coming up with uh, idea which has been proved thousands of years later only because humanity had the technology so
0: What's stronger, brain or technology? Aristotle. Uh, The problem with the matter was that it even in Greek time it was very complicated because even Greek knew how many different combinations of materials and matter could exist and what happens if you change just small fraction of mixes in solid or liquid state Uh, and, of course, matter was divisible. So, uh, Greek just simply thought what happens if we continue devising pieces of matter or drops of matter into smaller and smaller parts. They couldn't see any of that, but they could imagine that something should go to extremely small size, but then it has to stop there. So Greek thought that uh, atom is something uh, elementary, non divisible small, which could be brick of building out larger materials. At the same time, If there are different atoms, combined together, they could create different types of matter in terms of properties, colors, and other things that did make sense to them. But that idea was, well, we can credit alchemists with attempts to create gold out of uh, lead, uh, copper, zinc. Uh, So uh, alchemists probably had some ideas about structure of matter. Uh, Interestingly enough, they had more understanding of that than even uh, actual chemists, probably because they were more driven, better motivated (laughs) to find, to create gold. Out of nothing
1: but did they realize if uh, their dream will come true that the value of gold will destroy the dream itself because if gold would be possible to create artificially in the chemical lab, then value of gold will diminish?
0: Well uh, but
1: they didn't think that far.
0: that's why that's why. Alchemy was such a competitive business. Most important thing, of course, was to really create gold out of lead, zinc, copper. But second most important thing was to preserve exclusivity of that discovery. That's why so many people suffered and died out of erroneous perception that gold was created. Um, In reality, of course, it uh, became a lot more complex. So now we have to build gigantic elementary particles accelerators to create gold out of something else.
1: And the cost of that created gold will be probably much, much, much higher than the cost of gold. It could be very expensive
0: (laughs) to create artificial gold. Nobody does it. Now back to the history. So in terms of understanding of the atom, history was slow, probably till late 19th century. Uh, of course, history of science knows great chemists really even even in 15 16, 17th century. Uh, but that was more phenomenological chemical science than any deep uh, intrusion into the nature of matter simply because, energy required to really go inside the matter and approach atom is such it was out of reach of human science till late 19th century. So it took great scientists like Maxwell and great inventors like Edison and others to Develop science of electromagnetic field and start extracting particles and observing atomic and quantum phenomena very late in the nineteenth century. But of course, that all was experimental, understanding. Intellectual understanding of those scientific facts and experiments had to come from gigantic monumental achievements of mathematics dated back to 17, 18, 19th century with names like Newton, Leibniz, Euler, Gauss. And of course, Maxwell himself was, in a way, theoretical physicist, creator of the theory of electromagnetic field, which at the time was as much important and possibly more than Einstein's theory of relativity and quantum, well, deep structure of matter.
1: Uh, question regarding this the importance of electromagnetic uh, theory uh, fields theory versus einstein absolutely esoteric still esoteric still understood by few i believe because the electromagnetism electromagnetic fields and theory of that uh, fields interaction with real world was more applicable to every day life and technology arrived from that what Einstein did uh, emerged later on to absolutely terrible things we will know that but at the at that time electromagnetic fields was actually brought in bread and butter f- for technology development am I right or yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, reason? Yeah, right. So probably a money, money went to that research and, develop, and I would say a transition from the pure theory to uh, applied science to technology, something like that?
0: Uh, well, Boris, uh, Maxwell's theory of electromagnetic field is clear and clean, classical, top level theoretical achievement. It has crystal clear equations. It has wonderful clear solutions and it seemed to be perfect classical physics, classical theoretical physics until until people come to realize that—and Maxwell himself, of course, knew it—that carrier of electromagnetic field is uh, something, initially they thought it's a e- ephemeric substance distributed in the universe, because electromagnetic field and light, which is electromagnetic by nature, just very high frequency electromagnetic field, uh, are waves. And in order to create waves, uh, you needed some substance, like when we look at waves in the water on the ocean. Waves in the ocean require water. Electromagnetic waves in space required something that would be flickering and propagating electromagnetic field in that matter. Initially they thought it's a fear
1: by the way it's also a very ancient concept it came from
0: well yeah but
1: pre science pre times i would say
0: right well, yeah uh, of course as as soon as people started uh, analyzing waves and initially that was obviously water uh, i don't think and i don't know whether Greeks understood that light is a wave or uh, requires a fear uh, it might came later it was clear uh, coming out of Maxwell equations. But it created terrible paradoxes. In the end that perfect creation of theory, mathematical and physical created something that opened gates to the new phase. So, uh, light. It is a wave. But then, 15 years old Einstein asks himself, what happens when observer, person, moves with the speed of light? If light is a wave, imagine you have a boat which moves in the ocean with the speed of wave. So it goes with the wave. wave cannot escape it. Observer moving with the speed of light will never see anything because light cannot separate from him, cannot escape. He moves with light the uh, result is that he loses sight. He doesn't see anything in front of him, yeah, because nothing, uh, a light is with him or behind even if he moved faster than light. And that is impossible according to a Galileo principle, so as long as <laughs> an observer moves uh, straightforwardly with a constant speed, nothing, no experiment could establish that or it is moving. Uh, and Einstein understood that when you lose sight, you clearly understand that something happening, something changed. And that's how from his young age and the basis of Maxwell theory, uh, he was challenged with that paradox that he resolved uh, when, he, when he really became 25 years old. Man.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry for interrupting. You said that Einstein was 15 years old. Uh, there is almost like a joke that uh, he was a bad student in, in, in high school. He was. And, and his teacher told him that he can be any anyone but not a mathematician or scientist or whatever, a janitor. Uh, butcher uh, baker shoemaker whatever but not a scientist i'm, I'm not going to, uh, <laughs> to people yeah. of, of that profession that's a very important things for everybody but uh, what do you think how wh- what happened in his brain wh- why did he ask that question because as a matter of fact from my understanding in science sometimes the question is more important than anything yes. else because the right question leads to the discovery. Until there is a question, there is no discovery.
0: Ah, Boris, it's a great paradox. <clears throat> yes, he was not a very good student initially. But he was always, all his life, he was deep-thinking philosopher, even when fifteen years old. <clears throat> and that's what. Uh, If you think of it, uh, that um, imaginative imaginative experiment with the observer moving on the front of uh, light with the speed of light, it is not mathematical. It's um, imaginable uh, experiment, very general thought which could come to mind of any child not even very good mathematician, uh, but that was him. Normal child, uh, sometimes very good mathematician, would never think about it. He she doesn't have time for that, such stupid things. And if he or she ever thought about it, he would not spend his valuable time exploring that paradox. But Einstein did, probably because he had nothing better to do uh, for ten years. So he did and he, of course, besides him, there were Lawrence, Poincaré, others who (coughs) really took uh, Maxwell equations and pushed them to the limit and uh, solved that paradox. Uh, what Einstein did was pure, or almost pure, philo- philosophy around Poincaré and uh, Lawrence mathematics, <clears throat> and he was a philosopher. Uh, he really became great when he moved further, another ten years later, to his general theory. But that's not subject of our today's talk. Our dialogue is about as you wanted it, and by the way. I didn't know that we we're supposed to discuss both model of atom. So we're exploring it on the flight, if you will. I think it's, a, it's a good way to explore. It. <laughs> Maybe there is interesting uh, historical fact. Uh, Einstein was obviously at the beginning of quantum theory because nature of light is quantum. It's a wave, but it's a particle duality of light is such that photon is a particle of light, but it is a wave, meaning that photon being a particle is something small and local point, but wave is not. Wave is distributed across the space. And that was a real difficulty uh, for Einstein and um, others and French physicist uh, Brilliant came with a <laughs> solution. He came out with a theory that life is a dual, particle and wave. Well, I don't know who could be convinced with such, simple idea, but…
1: but strange uh, enough that today… the
0: Broglie. De Broglie. What I was going broil. to
1: say is strange enough, but today you may know nothing about physics, but you definitely heard at least once in your life. If you have nothing to do with science, you never took uh, physics in the school, wherever, but you heard that light is both wave and particle. It's so, such an obvious, in quotes, uh, uh, You yeah. think, no? Uh,
0: it uh, is not obvious, no? but it is no, indeed. No, 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 I
1: mean, I mean uh, it's not obvious uh, per se, but what I'm saying that everybody heard about that. It, it become very It's popular. common knowledge. Yes. yes. It's like uh, 2 multiplied by 2 is 4. Light is particle and wave. But let's go back to remember how People came to this idea, and how not, how, how complicated and sophisticated uh, mind and uh, mental process was in order to grasp it.
0: Indeed. Uh, so that discovery was by nature mathematical, but of course, great uh, physicists like Rutherford, Curie. Uh, Others spend a lot of time measuring, uh, creating, analyzing behavior of elementary particles and they discovered beginning of 20th century, late 19th, beginning of 20th, was very rich with discovery of new particles, alpha particle, electron, uh, proton, uh, and that was basically a result of evolving uh, science of electromagnetic field and uh, experimental power of high energy, high frequency. And
1: by the <clears> way, <throat> the price was high because uh, the story of Pierre and uh, Mary of Maria Curie, oh, yeah. is one of the examples how people sacrifice their life for discovering the
0: well, Indeed.
1: phenomenal things in nature.
0: Uh, so, beginning of twentieth century, uh, notably closer to nineteen twenty, nineteen tenth, nineteen twenties, the quantum theory started evolving, and that was difficult because. Quantum theory was even more difficult to understand to ordinary mind than Einstein relativity. Difference being that Einstein relativity seemed to be not very important in terms of practice. Uh, very few people had an option of moving with the speed of light or, or observing uh, relativity phenomena. They uh, were mostly. Cosmological nature, or astronomical, if you will, while quantum phenomena were quite (laughs) observable. And that was uh, painful because nobody understood what it is. Interestingly enough, Einstein didn't. And violently, he didn't want to accept quantum theory, although he was one of very few who actually created it, opened it, opened the gate. Uh, he even received his Nobel Prize in 1921 for his discoveries in the quantum theory of uh, Einstein, Bose-Einstein condensation, otherwise. <coughs> so that was initial theory of quantum liquids. Not for
1: theory of relativity,
0: but for… At least it's entirely different. He was not qualified, uh, eligible to receive Nobel for relativity because Nobel was only given to discoveries proven uh, experimentally. And general relativity was proved in 1921, uh, the year he received Nobel for different things. It is interesting that was his personal uh, drama or even tragedy, if you will, that, that to his end, Einstein did not understand quantum theory. And since he was semi-god of science, uh, he didn't feel that he has to. <laughs> yeah, well, he argued. Uh, he argued with Bohr. Bohr was proponent of quantum theory mm, uh, and uh, quantum theory still to this day has primarily statistical interpretation that all quantum matter, particles and otherwise uh, statistical entities. So waves that we're talking about um, Quantum nature of particles, not simply light, but other particles, is basically probability of them, those particles, being in certain place in space. It's and not they, that particle. I
1: remember still. the name Planck. Yes.
0: Uh, Planck is a predecessor of quantum. Uh, but
1: was it him who uh, actually formulated this? Uh, it's not even, it's like axiom, No, how, how can you call it? A principle. Yeah, principle, principle, uh, principle right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. But it was related to electron
0: only in particular, right? Initially to electron yeah. and uh, Planck came up with an um, elementary piece of space. It was not simply space. Um, electron has uh, to be, could be located only within a volume of space and momentum. So there is elementary uh, six-dimensional, if you will, brick of space and speed and momentum that holds electron. Uh, more definitively, you cannot locate it, either speed or location. Um, but if you locate electron, you cannot measure its speed. That was initial thought. Geisenberg, of course, uh, participated in that, evolved the theory of Planck. Uh, but Einstein was arguing with Bohr, saying, God doesn't play dice. Uh, physics cannot be, should not be interpreted statistically. It is clear science. Everything needs to be defined. Still to this day, general relativity of Einstein, his theory of gravitation, is not married with quantum. There's no link. Only now we're trying, we're starting with discovery of Higgs boson, starting connecting gravitation with uh, quantum, but it required a really huge collider (laughs) in Geneva to come to that conclusion. $20 billion project, so it was obviously not attainable to scientists 100 years ago. But back to the theme of our conversation, <clears throat> there are plenty of very interesting and exciting things in physics and atom is very important part of it, but not, nothing special, if you will. The only importance of atom is that it defines and describes the matter as we know it. Materials, uh, gases, liquids, and that's what we can observe physically. That's why it's so important. And experiments that greats of early twentieth century done allowed Bohr to interpret to create almost philosophical model of atom in the form of uh, nuclear atomic nuclear surrounded by electrons so if you uh, and the Bohr was not great in terms of mathematics he also was kind of philosopher. And that was the problem is his, in his standing with uh, Einstein. Uh, neither of them could prove or disprove quantum. Einstein could not disprove quantum. Bohr could not because he was not a mathematician. But he saw clearly, and he had few, quite a few very good uh, theorists around him who developed and evolved the theory. So Bohr model was simple. It was nuclei, which could be a combination of a number of elementary particles, usually protons, and protons is a heavy particle about 2,000 times heavier than electron. One proton usually has elementary charge, electric charge, equal to in size, but opposite sign to electron. An electron is another smaller particle which kind of surrounds proton. Uh, If we take an atom of hydrogen, it's a proton surrounded by one electron. So electron and proton together create electronic electric neutrality. Uh, but you can imagine it in the form of uh, sun or particle surrounded by a cloud. At the same time, that cloud, according to quantum theory, is not a matter, but probability. And electron being particle kind of, probably somewhere around with certain probability, which requires different mathematics.
1: But interestingly enough, that matter itself is not a probability. Matter is the matter. It's a real thing. So it's interesting how the scientific view and interpretation of the nature and laws of nature. smoothly transition to the real world because uh, obviously there is no any other way to explain uh, the quantum world if you don't as far as i understand you have you have to come up with probability because there is no any other way to describe the matter on that on that low uh, level but when it comes to the macro world to to the world which we can observe and which is tangible where this probability go to Is is there any boundary how this probability shifts to the material world? Sure. Is it a stupid question?
0: Uh, Well, uh, there are uh, smooth theories of connecting macroscopic and microscopic world. Yeah. Uh, And it could be distinguished by quantum parameter. When you move from atom, from electron and elementary particles, to solid matter, or liquid matter, and macroscopic size, to <coughs> uh, cubic inches or uh, to cubic kil- uh, or kilograms or grams yep. or pounds. Uh, we uh, perceive pound of matter differently than one item. Uh, and the statistical uh, nature of quantum uh, dissolves when we think macroscopically. Why? Uh, because big piece of matter contains so much of that probability, <laughs> it becomes becomes solid. But it's not a solution for a theorist. We can go deeper into that, and we will. Uh, but what's important, interestingly, of course, uh, hydrogen is very simple. If you put two protons and uh, distribute two electrons around, uh, that would be helium. And interestingly enough, combining the, the other particles necessary to provide stability and um, properties of uh, atomic nuclei, natron, neutrons, musons, others. So theory of uh, atomic nuclei also evolved significantly as we know it. But today we are talking about bohr atom. Uh, well that brings us interestingly enough uh, to a table of chemical elements which Russian Mendeleev, uh, he didn't discover it, but he kind of combined it, uh, creating that table which explained um, positions and properties of chemical elements, and there are plenty of them. them. Uh, At the moment, about 130 uh, known elements. Uh, most of them, high, no, most of them stable, but some are extremely unstable. Uh, uh, so ninety, some uh, ninety-nine or hundred, about hundred are stable. The rest of them unstable <coughs> because <coughs> atomic nuclei is not stable. Uh-huh. And main reason. For difference in those elements uh, is uh, size of atomic nuclear, how many protons, neutrons, mesons, and others sit on that, and how many <coughs> electrons distributed around. Uh, that brings us back to uh, alchemists. If they knew that in order to create gold out of copper. <coughs> they need to change atomic nuclei and how much energy it takes, they might be, have been a lot more cautious about doing the experiments because that is not chemical process, <coughs> that is highly physical doing that. <coughs> so Bohr created that um, theory, a uh, model. It was not theory, it was model with nuclei and distributed electrons. But it was not theory. Theory was created by uh, great uh, students of his, notably Schrödinger, Heisenberg, others who created mathematical equations to describe behavior of atomic particles, electrons, protons, others, especially well those Schrodinger equations of course describes all kinds of uh, quantum matter. They uh, are nothing like classical physical physics equations. It's very interesting um, differential equation, but if you uh, formulate uh, Bohr problem, Bohr model, and envision atomic nuclei sitting in the center of the quasi-solar system, like Sun, and electron distributed around it. The equation, equation for electron could be formulated and solved. And solution describes magically entire structure of table of element system. Why they have the distribution in the table, why they have such properties because what we call quantum numbers of electrons in (coughs) electromagnetic field of nuclei really defined the orbits, the momentums, how many of them could exist in certain levels of orbits, Uh, those called uh, orbital numbers, and that was the greatest success. That's why Bohr became such an important scientist and really uh, figure in uh, physics equal to Einstein that um, properties of matter could be calculated like never before. You could solve Schrödinger equation and know how many electrons and what orbits, uh, why Let's say in first layer of orbit could be only two and then which is first level of uh, table of elements. And why next could be only eight, second layer, and how it goes down with uh, more and more orbits because nuclear becomes more and more heavy and more and more charged.
1: Two eight,
0: two eight. Well, uh, no, it's not 2, 8 and then uh, 32. <laughs> it's, it's growing. Uh, if uh, nuclei was stable below a certain level, it would be a lot, but it's starting falling apart. And that's how it ended. That's why we only have about 100 <coughs> stable elements in nature. Which is fine. Ask you a question. Yeah. What is important about it? Chemistry. Entire chemistry comes out. Sorry, Uh
1: When we talk about nature, can we assume that number of elements which we have here on this planet uh, is pretty much? I will reverse my uh, my question is this table of elements propagates across the uh, universe the way we know the universe can we assume that there is no anything which violates these rules and which is outlier and uh, everything everything everywhere in the universe again as we know it Actually, follow these rules. The matter is built the same exactly way. Any unknown or unimaginable elements which doesn't fall into these uh, strict rules may exist in the universe,
0: possible. Boris, (coughs) Uh, that goes to nuclear physics, because existence of uh, other elements entirely depends on stability of. Uh, atomic nuclei. And that is due to properties of elementary particles like protons, neutrons, musons, and others which create and stabilize uh, nuclei. (coughs) Behavior of elementary particles in nuclei is not electromagnetic by nature. It's different a field. It's strong field, uh, but it uh, it has very little or nothing to do with el- electromagnetism. <coughs> so anywhere in universe, the behavior of those uh, elementary particles does not depend on any Conditions related to location or <coughs> outside field. <coughs> so when you, t- oh, I, I will take it back. If you imagine place in the universe, which can artificially, because of uh, some uh, field effects, can stabilize nuclei consisting of very many protons, neutrons, muons, and otherwise, but only because of external condition. Yeah, that's like diamond. You can create artificial diamond. It requires a lot of pressure and very high temperature. (coughs) You can create, and that's what science was doing for a good number of years, create um, super heavy elements transuranic, we call them. At the moment, uh, something like 130, I, I said, those exist very uh, fractions of seconds <clears throat> because conditions they require to contain elementary particles and nuclear such. If you can of universe place where those conditions are prevailing or can exist for longer than microseconds, well, super heavy elements could exist, but theory describes it anywhere. There is no other world, at least for now. Other world comes with a different theory which goes really beyond particles. We're not touching it today. What's interesting and why Bohr is such an important, his model, Because, not well. It explains Mendeleev table, of course, entire system of elements. But again, who cares? Well, just for knowledge. For practical purposes, what's important is uh, physical and chemical properties of those elements in macroscopic form, not at atomic level. But how they create real matter. We can touch and perceive. <clears throat> uh, that comes with uh, bonding. Atoms bond with each other. And bonding material is electrons. So electrons glue atoms to each other and expand throughout the structure to create <clears throat> uh, matter. In our macroscopic understanding, whether it's solid, liquid, gaseous, or even plasma, and we when we perceive matter as a condensed state or something which we can feel and touch, it's because of electrons, and how electrons beha- behave in when two atoms or more comes together what kind of bonding forms. Uh, It very much relies on Bohr atom and very much relies on Schrodinger equations. Remarkable success in calculating properties of matter out of first principles, which is amazing. You can really calculate why Hydrogen is different than oxygen in terms of physical and chemical properties. How chemical compounds form, uh, what is the entire chemistry, why it happens that way because of bonding. There are several different kinds of bonds when certain atoms of different (coughs) configuration come together and form chemical bonds. So it all evolves in rather a complex theory which can explain theoretically on piece of paper very significant observable behavior of um, macroscopic materials (coughs) and processes uh, like uh, methods of Molecular dynamics can explain phenomena of um, evaporation, solidification, uh, detonation, A flame and explosion could be understood and calculated, and new materials could be created on piece of paper and were created. <coughs> and that's, made, that's what made uh, Bohr such an important person in the 20th century. Still today we're making exotic materials. Our airplanes built out of very complex materials, engineered But in order to engineer those, uh, you need to bring quantum equations and understand bonding. Uh, We create artificial diamonds and other artificial structures. (coughs) They're not artificial elements. artificial diamond is just a carbon, but it's (coughs) then uh, that's where structure comes, crystallography comes, because carbon could be graphite, could be graphene, could be diamond, could be diamond. And properties of graphene, which is quasi two-dimensional material, are extremely important. It's very light, and it's unbreakable. It's the strong material on Earth. And if we could create diamond in the manner of graphene, it would be even more so. (coughs) That's an example. So we fly with the composite materials based on carbon. Um, We build cars, buildings, all our environment with the new materials. And those could only be engineered on the basis of that Bohr model. But back to the quantum, Uh, what's interesting, if in physics and chemistry you can use good and clear mathematics to basically calculate properties and effects and all that science produces. When you come to biology, it becomes a lot more intricate. Of course, biological molecules are a lot bigger than chemical, and we cannot calculate them completely just because of their complexity, interestingly enough. Still mathematics has major impact on biology in the form of biological statistics. So best mathematics can do for biology was achieved through biological statistics or statistical biology, if you will, and that's a huge development with medical implications and all other things, classification and segmentation, which mathematics produces brilliantly. And now with the methods of artificial intelligence and uh, neural nets, Uh, we're achieving a lot more, not understanding, but, mm, well, knowledge of biological effect. What (laughs) What entertains my mind, if you think of it, biology is so complicated it had to be perceived statistically, not deterministically. Maybe quantum is the same. Maybe we have to deal with the quantum nature of uh, basic elementary matter. Just because it is too complex, so complexity that we still don't see.
1: It's interesting how uh, the most complicated things which we may say life or living objects are probably life is the most complicated thing which uh, which exists in the material world how it correlates in terms of scientific methodology for research with with the quantum world so the macro world in its probably extreme reincarnation like 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 it Living creature, like an like, animal, like a You're
0: absolutely right. But then we go
1: down to the very small things and we see the same.
0: That is a paradox. Biological, biological effects are macroscopic, they're not microscopic. And still, complexity of biology, bio, uh, I don't know whether it's life. <clears throat> what we do know that biological molecules are very large. The, even if there is no life, they're huge. And that's what makes it impossible to uh, mathematize them throughout, Uh, too complex. Too many equations uh, (laughs) and you cannot solve them all, not even on any supercomputer. But in the end, behavior of biological matter comes to some statistical. Observations. You can build statistical analysis and statistical equations, but biology is macroscopical. (coughs) Quantum is not. (coughs) Uh, The deeper you know, you go into size and matter in space, (coughs) more quantum it becomes. (coughs) Uh, um, There was interesting and productive scientist, American professor Willer, which tried to mm, connect, to marry Einstein relativity with quantum. (coughs) So what he basically was saying, philosophically speaking, that time and space are very complex, complicated structures. Space is not empty, and time is not. It's not just measures thrown across empty space and time. A quite uh, opposite, time and space are form. It's very complex form, like biological matter is something consistent of very complex uh, molecules. Time and space is a form consisting of very <coughs> tiny topological units connected, very complicated.
1: One day, one day, I hope we will talk about time, and we're going to dedicate one, one of our dialogues to time in, in deep, if possible, because it, it's to me, it's, it's probably the most mysterious things of, of anything you can think of.
0: Uh, yeah. Yes, no? uh, Boris, yes, you're right, but space is uh, as complicated as time, they're basically equal. Yes.
1: yes because, because, because to, for me space is something which I can measure with steps, but yeah. it's not true of course it's a different thing. It's a different different uh, domain uh, for, for this for this. So world.
0: I, I think yeah. importance of our uh, dialogue today is the practicality <clears throat> of Bohr, uh, atomic model, atom itself. because other things uh, we can practically, live without them. We might not understand the nature of the universe, and we possibly can live without it. Yeah, because we are part
1: of it, that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Absolutely>. But uh, <laughs> even without in our real we world, world, we cannot even. live without uh, yeah.
0: airplanes, cars, uh, <clears throat> and other uh, materials and matter that we sense and perceive every day of our life. That's when science becomes imperative
1: and and uh, just from what i know what i read about war and basically uh, that times i think it was very i don't know if you can say this this way romantic time in 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 science because uh, war uh wasn't only uh, not was uh, the scientist uh, only he was he was he created a school was tons of young scientists around him, like you just mentioned, a few just big names, but it was a real school and the people were just fascinated and mesmerized with his personality besides everything else. Bohr Yes,
0: Bohr was a very interesting guy. First of all, he had five sons. So he was a community man. <laughs> uh, secondly, Bohr uh, was an uh, Olympic champion. In soccer. Uh, I believe uh, it was 1904 when his team won, Danish team won gold medal. Bohr was actually not in major, <coughs> he was in reserve of that team, but his brother, Ogi, uh, Bohr, who was almost as prominent as Niels, but he was a mathematician. He was real. He was even captain of the Danish team that won Olympic gold in 1904. And, of course, Boer, uh, he was very warm, very kind uh, personality. And because he was so well-known, people came to his institute, Danish government created, raised funds and created Bohr Institute of Theoretical Physics in Copenhagen. And young scientists from around the world came to. Likewise, uh, Leo Landau came to Copenhagen in 1931, I think, and spent a year and a half the, it changed his life. It made him great. It made him genius because he spent his time there mm, and he knew these people.
1: When he tortured students in Kharkov uh, State University, very successful. And we still have legends of uh, how Landau was actually treating students in, in, in his university when he was a professor in Kharkov. It was it was a real 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 trial to, to pass Landau's test. Uh, but,
0: uh, the, yeah, uh, he was an asshole.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because uh, I heard that stories from people who were his students in in the university, in, in Kharkov.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that was terrible. Was, do you do you, it, you know how he ended up in Kharkov? No. Hmm. When he returned. From Copenhagen. Uh, he obviously was put to work at the Yoffe Institute, Physical Technical Institute in St. Petersburg. Uh, and uh, he worked hard <laughs> there. But very quickly he came to a conclusion that Yoffe, Abram Joffe, a very famous Soviet physicist, is not very bright. And he said so to his face, uh, which basically <laughs> led to his exile to Kharkov.
1: Yes, and he, and, he, and he started teaching in the university, by the way. Yes. Yeah, he was teaching. Uh, he was, yeah, think, yeah.
0: And eventually they created Physical Physico-Technical Institute in Kharkov, which was also very popular. But that's all in time. A different story.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. But somehow bounced uh, from the Niels Bohr story. So you see, world is round. So as Atom itself. Uh,
0: several, I don't know whether it's related to another conversation, but several very bright uh, Soviet, Russian Soviet, you know, young scientists uh, in the very end of the 20s, beginning of 30s. Uh, got opportunity to travel. Some of them, like Gamov, never returned. Some of them, like Bronstein, never. Uh, he was selected to go uh, to Copenhagen, but never did because he was a nephew of Leo Trotsky. And um, Copenhagen Institute was a light for young, talented uh, people who came together and probably that was the most important thing, together they created that beautiful science of quantum and nuclear and all other things that transpired back then, (coughs) they probably would never do it without that unique opportunity. Likewise, later, and we'll speak about it hopefully in other dialogue, dialogue, Manhattan Project, in a way, created greatness of American science. And those were not American scientists who created that greatness. Yeah, that's, that's true. Does this, this
1: Bohr Institute exist nowadays or do you know that? Sorry? Does Bohr Institute exist today?
0: Yes, it does. It does, right? It does. It's nothing so, it is nothing like yeah, then. Not because of that. <clears throat> Bohr was very nice guy. Uh, Time Time is a tricky thing in the history of science, the time in 20th century, middle of it, around atomic bomb, (coughs) around thermonuclear and uh, all those, uh, generated a lot of talented people. Um, there is no reason for us to think that there are fewer or lesser number of talented people now, but we don't see it. Uh, <coughs> of course, discoveries being made, inventions, all the beautiful stuff, but nothing like relativity. <coughs> and if you look at uh, history… Renaissance is another example. In a very short period of time, greatness evolved. Uh, because why? Uh, those greats of Renaissance—Raphael, Leonardo, Michelangelo—they were—they uh, lived in the same time. They knew each other. Can
1: we use Fibonacci numbers?
0: Uh, Fibonacci is not guilty, no, no. 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 It, it's very simple. Uh, no. Atomic Manhattan Project uh, created. It required humongous investment from American government <coughs> to gather those people, most of them Germans, some others, very few Americans, who started working together and making discoveries and. So that was like a gold mine which was exhausted. <laughs> and although well, they tried everywhere in the Soviet Union as well. First uh, Soviet uh, atomic bomb created a gigantic splash and opportunity for Soviet scientists which we enjoyed for some time. But <coughs> global failure to create thermonuclear reactor uh, because of natural reasons it's not. It requires different science, different technology, another scale of energy. <coughs> but we couldn't do it. And uh, all that fashionability of science died out. And... Uh, Becoming businessmen and lawyers and doctors, yeah. eventually became uh,
1: fashionable. I was a child in sixties, but I ve- remember very well uh, what was the how how popular science and scientists were back in that time. And I think not only in in uh, Soviet Union, but across the world, it's it was it was really huge interest to to, to this matter and. Uh, a uh, few things which we lost, I believe, the world lost. Interest to science and interest to chess. <laughs> I don't know if chess if chess is uh, now that popular and uh, as, it, as it used to be, but I think that in 60s, maybe it was a political reason too, but chess as a sport, which is the most intellectual sport, was under the radar. No more, as you said, time. Time splashes and certain things, gone uh but still i think that still we may expect some huge things to be discovered because uh what happened in uh, 1920s and later basically changed the world uh, what what next uh after Bohr uh, theory of, of atom can mm, be? we Bo- Bo- imagine
0: we cannot live in renaissance permanently, yeah. likewise in science. We cannot live in scientific renaissance all the time. It would accelerate civilization incredibly. But we do. We had that splash. Uh, new science was created, fundamental became applied, went into technologies. Now we're enjoying a lot of inventions and expanding technology. We think that Internet is as great as relativity. It is not. <laughs> it's an entirely different thing. <laughs> it requires different level of abstraction, uh, but it's very useful. It created really environment which opens unique opportunities. So we're inventing now more than uh, discovering. <clears throat> Uh, but back to education. The uh, essence of our conversation is new generation. Every new generation uh, needs to create, invent, discover. And all of us have our, our time. Today is a time of uh, technology, inventions, and few who can will do their discoveries, and if those discoveries require energies which are not attainable to us today, well, they'll have to wait until we reach there. Uh, And if those discoveries opens for us understanding how our world exists, how space and time form and maybe even open portals to other, space and times and universes. Not only it requires different energy, it requires different mind. <laughs> Can you imagine today's man traveling in time, or space and universes? Uh, it doesn't make sense. So we have to grow.
1: And, and not only today's man, uh, I have a strong sense that for a long, long time ahead, uh, it didn't happen because uh, I don't feel like any, anybody came from the future to say hello to me yet. So which means which means that probably in the observable time period, it didn't happen yet. And maybe it will never happen. But that's different. It, it did
0: not happen. happen, not necessarily because it's not impossible. Because it's not possible. It might not happen because it does make sense. What man of the future has to do here? Why?
1: Oh, I, I know a few reasons. Scotch, for example, tequila.
0: You, you, you. We see it all in movies. Back to the future. Uh, evidently well, we have the, nothing, <laughs> nothing to do to, in no, by, the, by, by
1: the way <laughs> it's, it's a joke of course but you know what uh, but not not that much of the joke uh, i just caught myself on the on my personal personal attraction to the movies which are related to traveling in time uh, even though even though uh, it's all, almost always the same scenario, and you kind of can, can uh, foresee what's going to happen. You, f- you feel what, what is the narrative. But it's still so fascinating to me, and it's still so mesmerizing. It's still so attracting. So every time when there is a movie, especially a good movie with uh, these time-traveling things, uh, it really had a lot of magnetism. It just attracts me me personally because probably it's my personal area of interest because as i said time is something which which really makes me sad
0: uh, have you ever read I Probably, read, uh yankee at the court of arthur it
1: oh, yes. was there was the first thing which which amazed me because, uh, because this paradox of uh, people from different era came in across technology collision, uh, knowledge domain, oh, yeah, of course. That was an interesting, the very interesting experiment. You see,
0: uh, the simplicity, simple-mindedness uh, of um, a man either back into Arthur times or even today, is a different scale than complexity and sophistication of science required to travel that way. Basically meaning that a person, if we can imagine that, from the future or maybe from the past, who knows how to travel in time and space and universes, Uh, Has nothing to say to us. That makes sense. We'd like to speak to them.
1: Yes, but they don't like to talk to us. They
0: they know us throughout. Likewise, we don't want to speak to mouse. Yeah. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> you are you have too much appreciation of yourself like all of us we think that we're worth such a conversation they don't uh, it's almost like thinking of god we think it would be very nice if we could have conversation with god but uh, but god doesn't think so <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I think we had fun tonight.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much. I, uh, as always, it was very interesting, and uh, I learned a lot. And as in that movie, which we mentioned back in, in, in the future, back to the future, right, that's what, to be continued.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's cut it. Мне um, бы Как-то приблизиться к нашей education agenda, я откровенно говоря.